0: was not the most important invention of 1991 that was surely the internet and neither was it the safest invention of 1991 that must have been the car airbag but it was the most intriguing invention of 1991 and certainly well worthy of taking up the first 2 minutes of this sermon To David Kendrick, its inventor, it was a tiny piece of heaven, a speck of eternity captured in chrome, attached to a leather strap and clamped on your wrist. It was designed with love, inspired by a wish to make the world a better place. It was David Kendrick's gift to the human race, and he believed it would spur people on to acts of kindness and heroism, prod them into thinking deeply about life, and cause them to live it wisely. It was a reverse watch. Not a watch that has the hands going backwards, what's the use of that? No, this backwards watch had a more urgent and profound purpose. To get the most from Kendrick's watch, you need to program it with data about yourself. Information like your health, family illnesses, your diet, lifestyle and so on. Then a tiny computer inside will crunch all this data and calculate your life expectancy. Then on the watch face, it will display the number of days, hours, and minutes until you're expected to die. So a glance at your watch will give you the sombre truth of how long you have left to within the nearest second. Clearly there are some good outcomes for this. Only got 25 years, 3 months and 12 days to go. Better do something noble for charity or invent a cure for the common cold or write to my auntie and apologise for that time I walked mud into her white rug. Personally, I can see an excellent application. It would give you a great excuse for getting out of things you didn't want to do. Your boss uh, calls you to come into the office this weekend and you can say, sorry, I'd love to, but according to my reverse watch, I'm due to die on Thursday. Even better than this, if you beat your actuarial data and outlive the prediction of the watch, you have a perfect get-out. Sorry, I can't feed your cat while you're on vacation. According to my watch, I'm actually dead. Anyway... David Kendrick's market research uncovered what we could have told him before, which is people don't want to be reminded of their deaths every time they glance at their wrists. And so, despite having gone to the time and expense of applying for the patent, tragically, he never got around to making a single watch. Measuring your life backwards. Instead of counting your age in the years since your birth, gauging it by the time till you die. This changes everything. If David Kendrick had been alive in the first century, I think Jesus would have approved of this invention. He may even have bought a box full and given them to people he met. People who struggle to see past today's trivia to tomorrow's eternity. Those ensnared by worldly worries and petty pursuits. And if he had purchased that consignment of reverse watches, he may have taken one out of that crate slipped it into a smart presentation case, wrapped it in coloured paper, tied a big red bow around it and placed it under the Christmas tree of the Pharisee Nicodemus. Tick tock. Because you know the problem with religious types, don't you? They can get things out of perspective and out of proportion. Sometimes they need to start at the end and work their way back. Interpret the now in the light of the forever. Tick tock. You know the problem with religious types? We tend to believe our own hype. We love to wear fancy garments that set us apart from normal people. We congratulate ourselves on knowing our Bibles, on grasping theology, on being sophisticated and cultured. Tick, tock. You know the problem with religious types? We can be lost and not even know it. It takes the unexpected, the unconventional, the margin dweller to startle us into appreciating that terrible truth that despite our educations, our pedigrees, our years of faultless piety we carry deep within us, lurking in the dark recesses of our souls the secret hideaways where we are terrified to look the chilling fact that we have hardly even begun to experience the heart of God tick tock you know the problem with religious types? we often don't even know what the problem is with us religious types tick tock my brother Nicodemus was lost He was a fine, upstanding religious man, a Pharisee, a leader of God's people, a son of Abraham who had given his life to studying God's law since he was a boy. Now forget what you know about Pharisees. We think of them as self-righteous and we know they opposed Jesus. But in their time and culture, Pharisees were not the symbols of pomposity that they are to us. No, they were good people. They were honest and moral. They were dedicated leaders of the community. They tithed more than the law required them to, not just their income, but everything they had. Pharisees were philanthropists, men of high renown, and the people honoured them. But Nicodemus, this accomplished religious professional, this paragon of correctness, had a dirty little secret. You know the problem with religious types? Usually we don't acknowledge our dirty little secrets. But Nicodemus did. Well actually, his secret wasn't so little Ever since Jesus burst onto the scene performing miracles, dispensing words of grace, showering acts of love, he could not sleep. Questions about Jesus threatened to engulf him, throw him overboard and drag him down to the depths. This Jesus, this amateur, had a closeness to God that Nicodemus envied In this beautiful life of Jesus, Nicodemus faced his own inadequacy. Even though each day brought him into contact with the outward trappings of God, he knew he lacked something. He knew he was lost. He must go to Jesus. He must ask his questions. He must come home. Tick. Tock. But for this Pharisee, all-out commitment to Christ was risky. Even being seen in his company was potentially damaging. Most of his colleagues in the Pharisees' union were unimpressed. They heard subversion in the words of Jesus. And so, says John in today's Gospel lesson, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And they have a life-changing conversation. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. In effect, I've been watching you. You have got God on your side. There's this ring of authenticity about you. You might just be the real thing. And Jesus responds in a surprising way. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Okay, Nicodemus, you want to talk business? Let's get down to it. Take this watch. You need a whole new start. Tick-tock. Now that phrase born from above or born again which is an alternative translation of the Greek has become one of the most misunderstood phrases in all of Christianity and it makes me cringe because the way it's used is often to exclude people or divide Christians. You know what I'm saying. There are born-again Christians, who are enthusiastic, extroverted, and have made a memorable conversion experience. And then there's the other kind of Christian. Those who are more sensible, balanced, uh, perhaps even half-hearted or lukewarm. And you know what kind we are, don't you? Episcopalians have many faults, but enthusiasm is not one of them. This is absolutely not what Jesus meant. God does not divide Christians between born again and normal. If a person is in Christ, if they have faith in the Trinitarian God and seek to follow Jesus as their Lord, then they have been born from above, whether they like the term or not. So if you personally cannot point to a specific moment when you began to follow Christ is unimportant what matters the only thing that matters is that you're following him now and if you are then you are born from above live with it at times i get lost i make poor decisions I make wrong turns, turn off the GPS, God's positioning system, and decide I can find my own way, and I'm in good company. A great Episcopal writer and preacher named Barbara Brown Taylor talks about her own getting lost. She says, In my life, I have lost my way more times than I can count. I have set out to be married and ended up divorced. I have set out to live in New England and ended up in Georgia. When I was 30, I set out to be a parish priest, planning to spend the rest of my life caring for souls in any congregation that would have me. Almost 30 years later, I teach school. While none of these displacements was pleasant at first, I would not give a single one of them back. I have found things while I was lost that I might never have discovered if I had stayed on the path. I have lived through parts of life that no one in her right mind would ever willingly have chosen, finding enough overlooked treasure in them to outweigh my projected wages in the life I had planned. These are just a few of the reasons that I have decided to stop fighting the prospect of getting lost and engage it as a spiritual practice instead. The Bible is a great help to me in this practice since it reminds me that God does some of God's best work with people who are truly, seriously lost. You know what's good about religious types Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes in our lostness we go to Christ. We offload our questions, our doubts, our frailties, our mistakes. Sometimes it takes a long time to receive our healing, but receive it we do. Tick. You see, chapter 3 of his Gospel is not the only time John tells us about Nicodemus. He turns up again at the trial of Jesus, defending the Messiah against the, the accusations of blasphemy levelled by his Pharisee colleagues. And then, the next day, after Jesus has been crucified, a man named Joseph of Arimathea comes and takes the body of Jesus from the cross. But he doesn't do it alone. He has a friend with him, a Pharisee, Nicodemus. The man who in chapter 3 was so lost and so earnestly looking for God, by chapter 19, gloriously, magnificently, had unwrapped his reverse watch, got his life into perspective and become a follower of Christ. The man who had been so concerned with religious purity at the beginning of the story was now making himself ritually unclean by touching a corpse. He who had been afraid to be seen with Jesus was now exposing himself to ridicule and worse by burying him. Nicodemus had met Christ. He'd found his way home and life was never going to be the same again. Tick. Tock. I wonder what craziness God is doing in your life. What struggles you are enduring. What lostness you are experiencing. What clock is ticking. Hear the word of the Lord through our brother Nicodemus. Embrace whatever madness God is doing. Let go of your ideas for the future and get thoroughly lost in God's plan for you. Because you do know, don't you, that it's going to be good. So tick-tock, let's restart the clock and begin again. Amen.